everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream, January 17th, 2022, Wild Card Weekend Recap. I'm Aaron Schatz, the Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined as always on our Monday shows by Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports, deep in the shadows today. <laughs> uh, welcome to everybody watching us, uh, whether you're on Twitch or YouTube, please make comments and ask questions during the show. We want to talk all about Wild Card Weekend. Uh, also, hello to everybody listening after the fact, whether it's on the uh, Football Outsiders podcast network or watching the video. And don't forget, we're on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time with our different streams. So let's talk about a wild card weekend. Mm, a lot of uh, a lot of blowouts. A lot of blowouts this yeah. weekend, although the blowout didn't end up quite as blowouty as they started because, like, teams scored late. Patriots scored a bit late. The Steelers scored a little bit late. And uh, even the Eagles scored a little bit late. And uh, you can always trust the Chiefs, at least, to let the other team score late because they just do not care. Uh, but really, blowout, three blowouts, two close games that didn't look that close and then the team caught up and it's had some interesting finishes so let's start by talking about the uh, 49ers and cowboys with the crazy that's the one underdog that won so far on wild card round and um the crazy ending cowboys couldn't get it going on offense all game and then uh, thanks to a bad play calling day from kyle shanahan they hung around and then uh, they had a chance for one last play to tie the game, and they blew it by calling a draw and not getting the ball set to spike the ball and end the game. And, and then the game ended with them spiking the ball. It was very strange. Yep. Yeah, the last well, like two minutes of that game seemed like about two hours <laughs> with, with the reviews and the, the, four, the first down that wasn't a first down for San Francisco, and then the fourth down, a couple penalties, and – it was a crazy ending, but yeah, Shanahan had a number of play calling errors that really kept the Cowboys in this. Um, it seemed like, you know, from the start, you know, early in the game, they were up 10. We're pretty much dominating the Cowboys the whole first quarter, halfway through the second quarter, basically. And then they had a fourth and one on the Dallas 22. Everyone thinking they're going to go for it the way they'd run the ball and really just move the ball down the field. And he decides to send out the field goal team. Uh, kick the field goal. They're up 10 nothing, pushing it to a 13-point lead. Still a two-score two-score game, um, you know, almost halfway through the second quarter. But that was a 3.5% error for the, the 49ers. And that was kind of a, a sign of things to come because uh, later in the into the third quarter, there's about almost halfway through the third quarter as well, another fourth and one. This time on their own 34, but they're up 16-7 to seven at this point. They've tacked on yet another field goal after that last one. Shanahan decides to punt this time. Again, fourth and one, not going for it. It's a 4.6% error, uh, choosing not to go for it. And then the big one, the one everyone's talking about, this is one of those that I think every single person that I saw on social media, across on TV, everything, thought that Shanahan made the wrong decision. It's not often that pretty much everyone, analytics people, non-analytics people, really agree uh, with an error or a decision to go for it. But this was one of them. The 251 left, fourth and one on the 49, Dallas 49, basically midfield. Not going for it, you know, he takes the delay game, trying to draw him off sides. Uh, doesn't work, obviously, because it hardly ever works. And instead of going for it, forcing the Cowboys at the least to use all three of their timeouts um, and run down a little bit more clock, you know, down to the as low as you can. But 
if you get a first down and you force them to use their timeouts, there's a, a chance that San Francisco can completely just run out the rest of the clock and Dallas never even gets another shot. Um, the way it worked out, they failed to convert. The Cowboys got back basically to midfield within two plays and, you know, we're in the same situation uh, that the 49ers would have been in, or that they would have been in had the 49ers failed on fourth down. So looking at this one too, uh, a little bit deeper, we did this with the Staley decision last week. Um, based on the risk reward here, the cow, the 49ers only needed to convert at a 22% rate to make this worth going for it. They risked 6% to gain 21% in win probability by going for it in this situation. Even if they don't go for it though, even with the punt, they're still at 72.5% to win, but they'd be expected to convert that as we know, close to 70%. And they only need to convert one out of five to make it worth going for it. So just Absolutely baffling decision from Kyle Shanahan. Especially when you consider San Francisco's running game is so good and Dallas's run defense is the weakness of their defense. Yep. And they just, San Francisco just had, had moved the ball so well. Had the couple uh, drop low, intercept a couple bad throws that he tends to do. It seems like most games makes a couple kind of questionable throws that kept Dallas in it. But yeah, running the ball, you know, they were so strong, I think. When I looked up earlier, number two or number five in rushing in Dallas is like 16th against the run. Like I said, the weakness of their defense there. So just really a, a bad decision there. And with these these three decisions, we had someone, and we get this a lot, kind of the defensive nature of it is, well, they all worked out for San Francisco. They got um, a turnover on one of them. Uh, the field goal that they took early, it would have been a three-point game. Dallas would have only needed a field goal to tie instead of a, a touchdown. But you can't base it off of what happens after that. At the point of decision, Cal Shanahan doesn't know they're going to get an interception. And then the play after that, they're going to score a touchdown. Like you can't think of it that way because you don't know that's going to happen at the time you're making that decision. You have to assume Dallas is going to, going to go down the field or maybe you're going to be able to get a stop, but, but that's, that's not the right way to think about it. Playing the results. Like, like we don't like to do. Thank you to true Mac for noticing. Yes. J.P. Acosta and I did both pick San Francisco plus three in last week's show. And uh, despite the fact that Dallas did finish the season as the number one team in DVOA, this was a nightmare matchup for them. This was the worst matchup they could have asked for the wild card round. San Francisco was also really good in DVOA, so it's not like it was like a massively one-sided game. Um, the Cowboys got the ball back after that punt the 23 to 17 punt and then fell short on fourth down. So it was um, a lot of pressure on Prescott and he kind of lobbed it up there for Cedric Wilson and it came down just short of Wilson's fingertips. So uh, that's one of the big, big plays of the week. Yes. Yeah. That ends up being the second most impactful play of the weekend. Really. It, it w was a really good job by Prescott to even get that ball anywhere close to Cedric Wilson. Cause like I said, he was pressured rolled out to the right, looked like he was just kind of throwing it up for grabs. And Wilson was right there. Can't tell if he got kind of tripped up, was coming back, kind of trying to find the ball and just kind of fell and dove to the right at the same time, but just short of his fingertips. But yeah, ends up being a 14.6% decrease win probability. Again, second most impactful. Doesn't seem like a ton based on the numbers we usually see. Obviously, there were only five games that have been played so far. Three of those were blowouts. So there's really only a couple games that we've got impactful plays from surprisingly the, the most impactful play we'll get to comes from the chief Steelers game early on, but we yeah, had number two, a uh, 15% win probability decrease. And that was a big one situation where McCarthy too passed up a couple of fourth downs earlier in the game, a fourth and two, I think at his own 33, 34, a fourth and eight nearing midfield. 
in the late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, where should have gone for it. Instead, he's faced with a fourth and 11 here late in the game instead of a fourth and two or a fourth and seven or eight uh, at this situation. So those don't end up in our top fives. I know a couple people have kind of um, noticed that with our top fives this week because the Cowboys were so low in equity, that fourth and seven um, was like a, a half percent, but they were below, I think, 10 percent or so at the time. So it's not going to show up as the worst in um, – at like absolute win probability loss, but as far as relative loss, those were the were same goes for a lot of the decisions that Bill Belichick mm-hmm. made, where Bill Belichick punted on fourth down when they were losing badly to the Bills, where they're yeah, not going to show up. On, they're not going to show up on the worst decisions because the Patriots' win probability was already so low that you can't. There isn't much win probability left to squander. Yeah, and one of those you mentioned the fourth and eight at midfield. Uh, in the second quarter, they're already down 20 to nothing and they don't go for it. It's only a half percent error, but it's a difference of four and a half versus five percent win probability. So it's 10 percent relative decrease. And, you know, they punt and I think Buffalo still goes 80 something yard, 81 yards, whatever it was to or 89 to score a touchdown um, uh, before halftime. So, yeah, we see those a lot where people are kind of like, well, what about this call and this call? And they do matter. It's just when the teams are so low, like you said. There's not enough to really give up that it shows up in, in those really big errors. Jeff Masterson says when it was 23 to 7, Cowboys had fourth and seven at the 33 with 11 minutes and 53 seconds left. They kicked a field goal. I'm sure they should have gone for it. Do you know the percentages on this play? I believe that we had this as a tiny itty bitty error. I believe so. Yeah, I'll have to for the like decision. Like a yeah. very small error. Like, like yeah. it was basically a gut decision. And here's the reason why, by the way, this is not the worst decision in the world. Because 16 points is freaking hard to get. Because the odds that you're going to get, let's say you score two touchdowns. The odds that you're going to get two two-point conversions is 25%. So... You can't think of 16 points as a two-score game. It's really a three-score game because the odds are you're not going to get both two-point conversions. By kicking that field goal, the Cowboys put themselves in position where if they got two touchdowns, they would not have to try two-point conversions and they would win the game in regulation, which they almost got to the point where they had a chance to. So it's not that bad an error. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the fourth and seven, you know, you're going to convert those probably below 40% of the time. The field goal is a better chance of conversion there, about a 50-yarder. Um, but also to your point, you know, it, it's while it is a two-score game, you have to think of it as less as more than that because it's a potential to be a two-score game if you're able to convert two two-point conversions, which is very difficult to do. And it ends up being we had it as about a 0.2% error. So like I said, very, very close um, just slightly in favor of the go, but definitely can't fault um, McCarthy in that situation for choosing to kick the field goal there. So now let me ask you a question as a Packers fan. How do you feel about San Francisco coming to town? Um, we don't know what San Francisco's health is going to be. Fred Warner and Nick Bosa both mm-hmm. going out of this game. Uh, yeah, watching the game, texting with my brother and my buddies over the weekend, I'm like, man, you know, don't want to face San Francisco, especially the history Green Bay has had. It's it's been tough, you know. Beat them earlier in the year, but I mean they're they're good. You mentioned finished really high in DVOA. Just I'm always kind of a, a skeptical, a more pessimistic fan than I am optimistic going into games, especially when it comes to the playoffs and some of the the letdowns with Green Bay. But 
it, look at always hate injuries for guys, especially big time players, um, concussions, things like that, that, that we know about, but yeah, especially with the game being on Saturday, it's kind of a benefit that it gives a guy like Bosa one less day to get through concussion protocol. Fred Warner, I know, I don't think it was, um, it didn't look like the best injury. Not sure if you mentioned, I haven't really looked into seeing what, what they're thinking about it, but wasn't great. You know, it would definitely be a big boost to have those guys out. But I think the big thing will be just Garoppolo. The first thing I kind of think of is making him make bad throws, even when it, it seems like he's, you know, not under pressure. He missed a lot of throw, had an overthrow the Brandon Ayuk, the third down um, that was pretty much wide open and threw it over his head. So it's going to be definitely be tough. I mean, they, they run the ball well, which they've always seemed to do really well against Green Bay, giving up with 285 yards in the NFC Championship a couple of years ago. And then uh, in the, the super cold back there in like 2015, whatever it was. So definitely, I, I think it's tough. At this point, there's really no team that I look at it, you know, other than the Eagles, if they had won, that would have really felt comfortable playing. Um, but the 49ers are, they're going to be tough. And meanwhile, uh, my Super Bowl pick from before the season of Chiefs and Cowboys goes by the wayside, as does my bet from Vegas from two months ago on the Cowboys making the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I was sad. I was rooting for the Cowboys. I'll fully admit. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the other game that was not a blowout, which is Raiders and Bengals, uh, where this game was, uh, I think, closer than people expected. It was closer than people expected in the DVOA, so that was closer than people expected, I think, on the field as well. Uh, and Rich Passaccia and Zach Taylor were actually kind of aggressive early in this one. Yeah, they're not really any huge, really good fourth down decisions. All of the uh, our top five, or we ended up only having three that we did for our top threes that were above 1% in win probability. Two of those were from this game. Uh, a lot of the other decisions turned into errors, as we'll get to um, in our top fives, and we've covered from San Francisco. But first was um, Zach Taylor. It was 333 left in the second quarter. They're up seven at this point, fourth and one on the Vegas 31. Uh, pretty manageable field goal for McPherson, who's been really good. He's had a few misses, but overall, I've been very good as a rookie this year and decides to go for it, though, on a fourth and one, which Zach Taylor's kind of interesting because beginning of the season, he had the, the fourth and one in his own territory against Minnesota. They didn't get it. Minnesota was able to eventually tie it. They scored on the next drive, tie the game to go to overtime. He had a fourth and one against Detroit um, near midfield. They scored a touchdown on. And then the back half of the season has kind of regressed from that aggressiveness. The game against San Francisco, both he and Shanahan had a few decisions that were fourth and ones, fourth and twos, fourth and short field goals. They both kicked. Um, but in this one, playoffs, when it matters, he came out. I think he's, he's trusting that offense a lot, especially the way Burrow has played and having guys like Jamar Chase. Um, those receivers, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and then having Joe Mixon as well. And this one, they're able to convert, but going for it was a 1.4% increase in win probability. Ends up being second best of the week out of those three that are our top three. And then Basaccia, who's been – was really bad after taking over on fourth downs. Dropped the Raiders. I think I mentioned it last week or the week before. Dropped them, uh, him, and the, the combination of him and Gruden in our coach rankings from like sixth in CCI on fourth down decision-making down to 28th at one point. But over the last three weeks – uh, three or four weeks has had some really good decisions. Hasn't really had any glaring errors since the, the middle of the season. And this one was no different choosing to uh, go for it. Fourth and three at the Cincy 36. This one is kind of a, a tougher decision because it's a fourth and three. Daniel Carlson's been very good. It's a long field. It's a 54 yarder, um, which, you know, isn't a gimme, obviously, but not, you know, extremely, it's not a 60 yarder, a fairly manageable field goal for a kicker like Carlson. 
But choosing to go for it still gave them a better 2.3% uh, increase in win probability. Turns out to be the best fourth down go of the entire weekend uh, through those five games. So a really good call there. Wasn't complete, but it was. there was a pass interference on the play. Uh, DPI on Cincinnati that was able to get them the first down. And that's always something you have to factor into on those fourth downs we've mentioned. It's not just about converting. There's always the chance for a penalty that gives you a first down as well. Yeah, and then just some really big ga game, you know, when things got close, it was 26 to 19, Raiders uh, driving in the end of the fourth quarter, and you had a bunch of impactful plays, like given how not close most of the games this weekend were, like all the impactful plays come from like this Raiders drive. Yeah. Which, yes, <laughs> Jeff Masterson points out the final four plays were sort of bad, like in particular – uh, the third down where Carr had all freaking day to throw and then Hunter Renfro slipped. That was terrible. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth down where he threw it right to, I think, Logan Wilson. He threw it right to one of the Bengals linebackers for the end of the game. That was terrible. Yeah, the, as you mentioned, the final drive, you know, coming down to the wire in a close game, you're going to have a lot of impactful plays, especially as you start to get closer to uh, the end zone when you're needing a touchdown. So the the number four impactful play was the first one here, a minute 16 left in the game. Third and 17 on the Cincy 42, and Carr is able to complete a pass to Darren Waller for 23 yards. So that's a 12.4% increase. And then about 30 seconds later, fifth most impactful play is the third and 10 from the Cincy 19. That sets him up with first and goal, gets exactly 10 yards to Zay Jones is 10.8%. And then you mentioned the interception. Uh, ends up being the most impactful play of the weekend. And look at the the play-by-play -play here. It was intercepted by Pratt at the Cincy. Third most two. impactful play of the weekend, I believe. Or Sorry, yes. Third most impactful play of the weekend. Um, most impactful play from this game ends up being that, that interception, obviously, that loses the game, drops them from 13% down to 0% uh, for Las Vegas. As, as Jeff Masters points out, yes, out of the four receivers, only one was in the end zone, and that was not Hunter Renfro or Darren Waller. So it was like they picked like curls and flats to run on fourth and their season. And Sounds like a good play. When one, you of those curls, one of those curls didn't even make it into the end zone. It was a terrible play call. Um, so Bengals move on. Bengals will play the Tennessee Titans in the sort of AFC undercard, at least according to DVOA. It's the AFC undercard. I look forward to being roasted online by Titans fans when the Bengals, who – aren't very good in DVOA, lose to the Titans, who also aren't very good in DVOA. They'll point out to me just how wrong DVOA is about how neither of these teams are as good as Buffalo and Kansas City. Uh, don't forget updated coach rankings with Ian and Frank Frigo discussing upcoming playoff matchups and updating coaching vacancies are coming this Wednesday. So look for that video on edgesports.com. <clears throat> Let's talk about the most impactful plays. Then we'll get into the playoffs. Most of these are going to be plays we've already covered early on in the show. So, yep. hey, look, there's uh, Raiders and Bengals. There's the three plays we just discussed. <laughs> yeah, uh, five, four, and, and three. As well as number two being the Dallas Cowboys blowing the fourth and 11 with the pass to Cedric Wilson. Uh, but number one is interesting because it's actually from one of the blowouts. Yeah, early in the game, this was uh, early in the second quarter. I think we'd had about 60 punts in this game by this point uh, through the first quarter. And it was the kind of the weird play where Miko Hardman took the snap, was handed it off to Darrell Williams. They fumbled it. Williams recovers it, 
picks it up, gets hit, fumbles it again, and then T.J. Watt picks it up and returns it for the first score of the game, giving the Steelers an early lead and maybe some false hope that they could win this game because it everything turned from there in the next, what, 11 minutes. The Chiefs scored three touchdowns to take a 21-7 halftime lead. But it was a, a big moment for them at that point, give them the lead uh, on a, a touchdown from who else but, but T.J. Watt, who's just been awesome this year. Yeah, that was um, – made it look like maybe this would be a messy game and the Steelers would, I mean, not win. I don't right. think anybody thought they were going to win. No. Oh, maybe they'll cover 13 is what I thought after this touchdown. I thought, I, you know, I was a little surprised when the FO plus playoff uh, uh, picks came out with almost all underdogs for this week, including this game that it, our playoff picks, the formula picked Pittsburgh plus 13. And I was like, mm. but after this touchdown, I thought maybe they would cover plus 13. They did not cover plus 13. Yeah. We had it, I think, obviously we utilized DVOA in, in a lot of our stuff, but I think it was, uh, we had Pittsburgh at maybe like plus 10 or 11 compared to the, the 12 and a half or 13 in the market. So we like You, had a, a, you had a cover. You picked a cover. Yeah. Yeah. So we picked that as well. It was actually interesting. I was thinking when they scored here, I was um, on the day ESPN, the daily wager. Um, they had picked, uh, it was Aaron Dolan picked, you know, Kansas City minus seven and a half in the first half was one of them. And at this point, it's like, man that's going to be tough to, to, to win. And then they get the touchdown to Kelsey at the end, looks like just trying to get in the field goal range and, and they score the touchdown for that one to cover. So that definitely was the thought in my mind too, not only the whole game, but that first half with the chiefs uh, at minus seven and a half, I think it pushed to my pick for this one from the ESPN best bets column was Ben Roethlisberger over one and a half passing touchdowns because it was at a plus mm -hmm. one five, five, which is pretty sweet odds. Yep. And it hit. Yeah. <laughs> Trust the Chiefs' defense to stop caring in the fourth quarter and let Ben Roethlisberger score two touchdowns. So good job, Roethlisberger. Now retire. Not everything was bad. <laughs> All right. Best decisions, which we don't have a lot of best coaching mm -hmm. decisions. We have three. Because there were only three decisions that had a more than 1% game-winning chance change. Uh, and so there's one decision we haven't talked about yet, which is the Eagles, mm -hmm. E-A-G-L-S, E-L-S, Eagle. Yeah, and this one is is kind of – it's one of those Scott and I talked about it on our Edge Sports podcast a little while ago. It's kind of borderline. They're the ones we, we know if they're obvious fourth down decisions, we pull them. You know, we're not going to credit a coach for making a, a call on fourth and goal at the nine when you have to go for it like the Raiders did. But – Number three, it's the Eagles. They're down 17 nothing. about six minutes left in the second quarter. And it's fourth and fourth at Tampa 47 and choosing to go for it. Now, it might seem obvious, um, but when we were talking, you know, if you flip the script and it's Bruce Arians down 17 nothing in the second quarter he's at punt. midfield, he's going to punt. And he did against the Jets. They were down, I think, 10 a few weeks ago. It was fourth and five or six at the Jets' 39-yard line, and he punted. And that was in the second half. So this one is one we decided to keep in. Sirianni's been very good. He moved up, I think, is fourth in uh, our CCI rankings for our coach rankings on the season. A rookie ended up being very good this year, very aggressive, especially in the second half of the season, uh, going forward a lot on fourth downs. Had a lot of fourth and goal from like the one-two situation, which are pretty much pretty much everyone's going to go for those. But still, credit to him. He you know knew early on, hey, we're going to have to go for it. They they got in a big hole early and chose to go for it and uh, ends up being our number three. And then the number two and the number one, you can see there, those are the ones that we covered 
from the Bengals Raiders game on Saturday. Jeff Masterson, by the way, would like to see in FO Plus a pull down on the stats where you can isolate certain weeks of stats, like a range of weeks. Jeff, really want to do that. That is, I'm hoping we can make that one of the projects for this offseason. I'm hoping the two projects for FO Plus I want for this offseason are uh, to be able to sort by a range of weeks and get a, a range of weeks of DVOA and to do individual player weeks so you can see like what Tom Brady had for each individual game on his page. So we're hoping to add both of those things this offseason. I'm really hoping we can make that happen. All right. Don't forget, again, you can make comments on the live stream. If you're listening after the fact, come live 1 p.m. Eastern and make some comments and ask some questions and like and subscribe on whatever service you are watching slash listening to this show. Let's talk about the worst coaching decisions. And there is one Belichick that made the top five. Belichick had an awful game of fourth down decision. It's, it, look, here's the thing about the Patriots is I don't think he understands – is Mac Jones limited in some ways? Yes. I don't think he understands quite how efficient Mac Jones was this year. Mac Jones was pretty good this year. And yet Belichick, especially on fourth down coach, like his team could do nothing. <laughs> and so, yeah, like let's talk about this decision that he made against the Bills when this game was still within reach. Yeah, fourth and one, their own 34-yard uh, line. It's 14 nothing. Early in the second quarter, the, the Bills already scored touchdowns on their first two drives. It's one of those, you're in your own territory, but like you said, they're struggling. The, the Bills are just look, pretty much doing everything right. They could do no wrong at this point. Uh, I think the and only you're supposed to be built that. around your power running game. That's right. People are always like, how come you analytics people don't account for what the strengths and the weaknesses of the teams are? Well, what is the strength of the Patriots offense supposed to be? supposed to be the power running game. So come on, get with it here. Get a yard. Yeah, one yard. It is your own 34. And, you know, it might say if you don't get it, you know, they're in field goal range already, even though or pretty easy for them to score a touchdown. Like they had no trouble scoring touchdowns and they should have noticed this at that point, at this point, but ends up being a 2.9% uh, a error. Again, it probably wouldn't show up in other weeks if there are more games, but at the same time, it would still be a really bad error because of the fact they only had 16% win probability if they went for it. So it's a little under, you know, a fifth uh, of their win probability, a, a relative drop of, of, you know, 17, 18%, whatever it is on that. You just, you, you've got to go for it when you're in that big of a hole. It's a fourth and one. I think people still are struggling to come around to the hole. You're in your own territory. Like we saw it happen to Brandon Staley. We talked about it last week. Granted, that was his own 19. But what, the same with them, their offense is so strong choosing not to go for, you know, fourth and one, you're going to expect to convert almost three out of four times. Uh, and people kind of focus on the one they don't get and focus more on the what if you don't get it than a what if you do get it. And you're able to, to you know, take more time depending on when the game is or go down, keep your drive going to score a touchdown. As it turned out, you know, they punted um, to the 19 Buffalo and 81 yards for a touchdown fairly easily. So didn't really help them out anyway. And then Four we covered. Uh, it's again, it's a, one of the the many Shanahan errors from yesterday. That was the fourth and one at the 22, the field goal he kicked. Number three is probably the most surprising to me from the entire. Yeah, we weekend. were all we were all a little gobsmacked at this one. Yeah, it was only six minutes into the game. Like I mentioned, there were a ton of punts. I think there were like 50 punts at this point in, into the game. It seemed like no one could really do anything. But the Chiefs get to their own 49. They're at midfield. 
fourth and one and choose to punt, like, especially from Andy Reid, who's been so good, especially the last few years. He's always near the top of our coach rankings, especially fourth down decision making. You've got Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense that you're accounting for. The Steelers defense, you know, has been good at times, but it really no match for the Chiefs. There's there's no reason not to go for it here. And I just it's one thing that we've noticed from Andy Reid, especially uh, this isn't an exact situation. But we've noticed early in the game on the first drive uh, a couple times last year, maybe even early this year, we see. He gets down to a fourth and goal where it's at the two or the three, chooses to kick the field goal, kind of saying, you know, I'm going to take some points here, knowing that his team is so good that he'll make up for it over the long haul. But in this one, when it's, you know, second quarter, you haven't scored and you've got a chance to keep the ball. Fourth and one, yes, Pittsburgh's not going to be able to move the ball down the field on you, but you've got a chance to to really keep it, you know, put your foot to the pedal, get the first down and go down and, and take the lead uh, potentially there with that offense. So this one was just, Again, probably the most surprising to me from the entire weekend. Uh, Flynn Hagerty points out, Kyle Shanahan and closing out games, never the twain shall meet. And True Max says, that's a lot of large error percentages for San Francisco, and they still won somehow. Yes, three of the top five coaching errors for, uh, were San Francisco. And yes, they still won somehow, because when they made these errors, especially the last one, their win probability was already really high. Mm -hmm. And because um, it's not like the Dallas Cowboys coaching staff covered itself in glory in this game either. So, you know, I mean, the Dallas problems were more about like play calls, like why do you call a draw with 14 seconds left? But um, as far as the Chiefs go, Jeff Masterson says the Chiefs might have thought that at nothing, nothing like 10 points were going to win the game. So you know, why keep it? Because the Steelers can't move the ball. My response to that is always, if the Steelers can't move the ball from their own 20, then they can't move the ball from their own 50 either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and whether, you know, it's going to take 10 points, even if 10 points wins the game at a fourth and one, you're probably going to convert that if you're the Chiefs. And then you've got a chance to go ahead and get seven points there or even three, you know, if you're able to continue to move the ball, if not, and you end up hunting the ball, like you're still, it's not, and at the, at midfield, the, the yardage and the win probability you gain from punting isn't worth as much as as people, I think, make it you, out to be you, thinking. You real And you really do convert fourth and one a lot. Like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with what sneaks, I think they say with the data I saw last week, even a, a QB sneak is like 84% conversion. Um, the Chiefs, of I course, think, don't run QB sneaks anymore with Mahomes, but they bring in Travis yeah. Kelsey or Blake Bell and they run the QB sneak with them and that's fine. I was just about to say, it seems like since that Denver game when Mahomes hurt his knee a couple of years ago, I don't think that we've seen them run any sneaks since then with Mahomes, at least. But yeah, that's you bell, absolutely That's what it. the belldozer is for. The belldozer yep. is for the sneaks. All right, let's a preview Monday night football with the Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams, last of the wild card game. Uh, Matthew Stafford looking to limit the turnovers and get his first playoff win ever. These are two teams going in different directions, according to weighted DVOA. Both teams have declined on pass offense over the last few weeks, but the Rams have gotten better on both defense and special teams. So the Rams are overall a little better in weighted DVOA, whereas Arizona is a lot lower in weighted DVOA than they are in total season DVOA. And as befits the idea that the Cardinals have declined a bit over the course of the season, they beat the Rams 37 to 20 back in week four, but in week 14, 
It was the Rams that won 32-23. Yeah, interestingly from this game, this is one of the other, along with uh, Patriots-Bills, one of the, the, the two games that are a third match or meeting between these two teams. And in both matchups between Bills-Patriots and Cardinals-Rams, if I remember correctly from what the research I was doing last week, both road teams won as underdogs in the regular yeah. season. Which was a little interesting. Yeah, as you mentioned, they both they split their their two meetings. Coming into this one, the market has the Cardinals as or the sorry the Rams as three and a half point favorites. It was at four for most of last week. I think when I was looking at it before the end of the week, we were pretty even. We still have the Rams as four point favorites, uh, just a half point higher than the Rams. So we're pretty. We don't really see a ton of of value really either side. Um, if anything, we give the, the Rams a very, very slight edge to cover. Looks like almost 52% of our simulation. So really pretty much split. Um, obviously, we like the Rams to win. We've got them at 65% chance to win. As far as the public betting, um, it looks like the as far as the spread, about 61% of the money, 52% of the bet are on the Rams to cover. Um, so in favor of the Rams, but pretty close uh, to evenly split there. Looking at the money line. Uh, 60% of the money and 53% of the bets are on the Rams to win. So pretty much the same for both the spread and, and the, the money line. It's a close game. Looking at the total, we're pretty close there as well. I mean, we're pretty much spot on the market in this. The total is sitting at uh, 49 and a half right now. Our fair value total where we think it should be kind of our projected total is 48. So we like the under just a little bit around 53, almost 53 and a half percent of our simulation. So again, really not a lot of value to be had on either of these, um, either the spread or the total, at least for, from our model's perspective. Interesting. Jeff Masterson likes it as a pick em, So he says he likes the cards plus three and a half. I like the Rams. Now, I am a little worried about the safety situation. Both of their mm -hmm. starting safeties are injured. And the Cardinals did do well passing in the middle of the field over the last few weeks. But I think overall, I'm just trusting the idea that the Cardinals pass defense, uh, both pass defense and pass offense actually have declined over the last few weeks. And I feel that the Stafford interception thing is a little overstated. So I like the Rams minus three and a half in this game. And in fact, I made it one of my ESPN best bets for this week. Uh, so I like the Rams, but mostly what I'm rooting for is a close game because yeah. I was like dying trying to stay up through some of those blowouts this weekend. <laughs> Let's have a close game. Please have a close game. Uh, True Max says he needs the Rams to pull through. I don't know if that's because he's a Rams fan or a Rams better, or he's a Tampa Bay fan and doesn't want to play Arizona. Yeah. Although honestly, especially from a DVOA perspective, if I'm Tampa Bay, I am absolutely rooting for Arizona in this game. Um, I think the Stafford interception narrative is overstated because so many of them on high profile broadcasts have come from behind his own 20. But I don't think that that is necessarily uh, an indication that he is particularly bad for the like predictive wise, that, that's, that he's particularly bad behind his own 20. And a couple of them were basically arm punts. They were like deep downfield interceptions. So that's why I think that the Stafford interception narrative is a little bit overstated. But, um, you know, Stafford is a high-risk, high-reward guy. He brings you big highs, but he also brings you lows. But um, 
overall, I just think that the Rams have more talent and have just played much better in the last two months than the Cardinals have. Yeah, but I'm not sure, you know, talking earlier about with Green Bay, San Francisco, if kind of with you, if, if the Rams are kind of the one team, at least last week until the second half, you know, they kind of struggled and let down and the 49ers who were who've been playing really well, came back to win. But the Rams just kind of seemed like the one team that, not the one team, but between those two that I wouldn't want to play. Had, you know, had Dallas won yesterday, I think I would be cheering for the Cardinals as a Packers fan for them to face them instead of Los Angeles. I mean, given how San Francisco has played in recent weeks, you know, Tampa should have been – was probably very happy to see San Francisco have to go to Green Bay. Yeah, um, I, all I'm the, not thrilled. The other thing I will point out is ESPN's trench measures. Mm -hmm. uh, the Rams are first in three of them. And the Cardinals yeah. are 12th or lower in all of them. So the Rams just have a huge advantage in the trenches. Kyle Kessinich says, doesn't Stafford lead the NFL in pick sixes by far? I don't know if he leads the NFL in pick sixes. I doubt if it's by far because no one ever throws more than two or three pick sixes in a year, to be honest. I think pick sixes are overrated. Pick sixes are often based on where the defense and also, and more importantly, where your receivers are when the interception takes place. If you're, if you ran a, uh, like if you, if you run a, a dump off route to a running back and then you throw it downfield and it's a, it's picked, the running back has a chance to tackle. If you don't have a dump off to a running back and you throw it downfield and it's a pick six, then there's nobody to tack. In other words, you're, you're judging the offense based on their tackling ability and based on the physical geometry of where the players are when the pick takes place. Like I, I'm, I would much rather, and in fact, this is the way DVOA works. It judges picks based on What's the line of scrimmage? How far downfield did you throw the ball? It doesn't judge based on how far the return is because the return, like you don't judge offenses based on how well they tackle on returns. Yeah. So how I'm well not, they play defense, basically. <laughs> I'm not concerned if Stafford leads the NFL in pick sixes. I'm concerned about interceptions, but I'm not really particularly concerned about pick sixes. They're also a very, like I said, a very small sample. I doubt that he has many of them. And I don't know what the numbers are on those. It seems like the most of the pick sixes you see are, like you said, where you're throwing it off to the sideline, you know, three yards down the field, and it's just a receiver and a cornerback, and the cornerback jumps it, and there's just no one there to, to tackle it. it. It seems like that's kind of the, the highest occurrence of pick sixes, like to your point of just not having anyone there to make a play. Right. So certain types, he has four pick sixes, which, I mean, that's a small sample size, like four, yeah. you know? I mean, there's not that much difference between throwing four and throwing two over the course of an entire season. What matters are the interceptions, like not whether they're pick six or not pick six. The fact that he's throwing so many interceptions, especially in recent games, I think does matter. But I'm not concerned with the pick sixes in particular. I think another thing too, Aaron, that you guys look at looking at adjusted interceptions, how many times you see other quarterbacks make throws that should have been pick sixes that, that are yeah. dropped by the defense that, you know, could maybe have him not in the lead in pick sixes. And, you know, another quarterback would have five. You never know. Yeah. All right. That does it for the show. That does it for today. Thank you, everybody who's made comments and asked questions throughout the show. We really appreciate getting the good conversation going. And if you're listening again after the fact, 1 p.m. Eastern is when we do this live on YouTube and on Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, and in the corner of our site. You want to watch the show live. 
Again, Tuesday, no stream anymore because that was our fantasy stream. But Wednesday, Mike Tanier will be joining me and probably somebody else to ask anything. And we'll talk about coach openings and things. And uh, if you want to market for us, Kyle, please tell your friends to watch the show. We appreciate everybody who enjoys the show. We appreciate everybody who's subscribing to the show and tell your friends. So, yeah, Wednesday, ask us anything. Thursday, preview of the divisional round. Friday, DFS start and sit. All 1 o'clock Eastern time, uh, wherever you are watching the show now. That does it. Enjoy the Rams and the Cardinals tonight. And uh, we will be back Wednesday at 1 o'clock. So long, everybody. Hopefully next week, Aaron, we're talking about a Packers win, not loss. We'll see. <laughs> We'll see.